morning, everybody. Welcome to Jacksonville Prez. Um, if I could interrupt your fellowship and uh, ask you to make your way back to your seats, please. That would be wonderful. And as you're making your way back, uh, please go ahead and grab a Bible. If you need one, we have blue hardback Bibles in front of you there, or if you brought your own. Uh, please have a copy of God's Word in front of you. And go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 17. And uh, go ahead and stand with me as well for the reading of God's Word. And if we haven't met, my name is Scott, and I get to be one of the assistant pastors here at Jayville. So it's wonderful to see you all, and welcome also to you who are watching online this morning. So with that said, <clears throat> let's go ahead and read God's Word. Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. My friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will remain forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can take a seat, and as Pastor Dustin would tell you, please keep that Bible open in front of you this morning. So my friends... My question for you today is this, what is the good life? What is the good life? Or better yet, more importantly, what does it look like to be a human being fully alive? I want you to think on that question and hold that in the back of your mind. Okay? To thine own self be true. Who said that? Shakespeare, yes, the guy that we named the festival in Ashland after, William Shakespeare. Or as that other great philosopher, playwright, and theologian Kanye West once said, <laughs> I got a cheer and a boo for Kanye, there we go. He said, I refuse to accept other people's ideas of happiness for me as if there's a one-size-fits-all standard for happiness. Now, Kanye is the guy who wrote that horrible Chick-fil-A song, um, which I think is the unofficial song of our church. And the reason I say that is because every time I drive by Chick-fil-A, half of you are in line. It's crazy. 
especially Nate Moyer, looking at you this morning, and Pastor Dustin, who's probably watching me online right now. Um, and now, some might say that's the good life. Chick-fil-A, chicken sandwich, the whole deal. Uh, speaking of our church, I asked several of you throughout the last couple weeks, uh, who do you think of when you think of someone who's living the good life, who's fully alive? And you know what you guys said? Two things. Dave Fennell. Yeah. And David Fairbanks. Yeah. Yep. Dave Fairbanks is in the back nodding like, yep, that's right. Fully alive. That's right. Now, if you know who these guys are, I think I would agree with that. These are a couple of our elders. Uh, someone else in our church said Josh Allen. Anyone know who Josh Allen is? He's the QB for the Buffalo Bills, the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Now, that makes sense, right? He's got fame. He's got fortune. Uh, he's got respect. He's a pro athlete. He's a good-looking young guy. Seemingly has it all, right? And he's someone that our, our culture would say, yeah, he's living the good life. He's got it. What about James Bond? Yeah? In many ways, doesn't James Bond embody what our culture not our church necessarily, I hope not, but what our culture values, right? He's rich, super talented, good looking, he wears the nicest clothes, drives the nicest cars, drinks the best drinks, eats the best food, gets all the girls, has nothing tying him down, no obligations, no responsibilities to anyone but himself. And he's seen in American culture as a cultural icon of some sorts. That's why they keep making movies with different actors over and over and over again. Right? Now, who else in our culture do we esteem as being fully alive, as living the good life? Uh, last year, <clears throat> this may surprise you, uh, last year there was a list of the top 20 most admired men in the world. And two of the men on that list were both of our former presidents, Trump and Obama. Yeah. I'm going to let that sink in. The reason is because I can see everyone in the room here, people are on different sides of the political aisle, but you all have this in common. You're both smiling and trying not to throw up in your mouth as I say that. So, <laughs> Now, getting a little closer to home because we are in church here, uh, what about from Scripture? Who do we see in Scripture that's fully alive? Okay. Not the Sunday school answer, but yes, you're right. right but what about Adam and Eve? What about Adam and Eve? They were in perfect fellowship with God. They were naked in a garden, eating fruit with no shame. And some people would sing, hey, that's the good life. That sounds good to me, right? And guess what? Adam and Eve, for a while, they actually were human beings fully alive. But something went wrong. So what am I getting at this morning? What is the point of this silly intro and these examples? This is what I'm getting at, friends. God made you and me to live as human beings fully alive, fully alive. He has offered us abundant and eternal life. And if that is the case, which it is, then the more specific question I have this morning is, who are you fully alive? Who are you fully alive? What does that look like? Does it look like Kanye? The Chick-fil-A song I referenced earlier was written by Kanye after his conversion to Christ. Uh, but before his conversion, he had influence, wealth, power, and everything money could buy. But he was without hope and without God in this world. James Bond? 
Well, if you believe Bond is, uh, is the embodiment of the good life, then you've bought into the lie that happiness is found in the things that our culture values. And that's the oldest trick in the book. If you read Genesis 3, the serpent tempted Adam and Eve to, to buy into this lie that they wouldn't be fully alive in God. They wouldn't be happy in God. No, they needed to go and they needed to do their own thing. They needed to live life the way they saw fit. And if they did that, they would get life. They would get life from it. And he tricked them. And it led to death. So my friends, this morning, as we look at this passage again, I want to encourage you, don't let the enemy deceive you. God truly does want us to live lives that are abundant, fully alive in him. But what does that look like? What do we do? How do we get there? That should matter to each and every one of us, because each and every one of us here and, and watching online, we're living in this world right now. Every single one of us is living in this world, so we should want to know what this looks like. How do I live fully alive? God, what do I do? Help me. We're going to look at that this morning. If that sounds interesting to you, hang with me here, and let's dive in. So we're going to look again at verses 17 to 19, and what Paul does here is he shows the Ephesian Christians what their new life in Christ is supposed to look like in relation to the self, to themselves as individuals. Now, pop quiz, last week, Pastor Dustin preached Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and we talked about what our new life in Christ looks like in relation to whom? Do you remember? The church. Yes, a few of you, I heard you say it. Last week, we looked at what it looks like to be a Christian, to live your life in Christ in relation to the church. And this morning, we're looking in this passage, verses 17 to 32, what it looks like to live the human life, the Christian life, fully alive in relation to ourselves, how we think, how we act, how we speak. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Verse 17. So Paul starts out this, this section of the passage, guns blazing. He says to the church the, that the non-believers in Ephesus, this city where they were, they've hardened their hearts. They've closed off their minds to the truth of God. And this deadness spiritually is now reflected in the way they live their lives. Death, decay, disorder, chaos, all of this. So Paul's telling the church that their non-Christian neighbors, they're alive, but not really. They're still clothed in the old man, the old self, as Paul uses that language. And is that what it means to live the life that God designed us to live? Is this what God wants for us? Paul goes on in verses 18 and 19. He says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so Paul is describing the sad state of these non-believers in Ephesus, and he's saying, look, guys, these people are alienated from God. They have darkened their minds. They've hardened their hearts. They've chosen to suppress God's truth. It's a sad state to be in. And here's the thing that's interesting about this, and this can be a little bit hard to get our minds around. Paul says here that they chose to live this way. They chose to live this way. Now, how does that happen? What does that look like? I want to give you a modern-day example. Uh, several years ago, a very well-known scientist and professor, a guy named Richard Dawkins, you ever heard of him? 
Richard Dawkins, uh, became very famous probably 10 years ago or so, part of what's called the New Atheist Movement. Um, he, he wrote and published a, a book that got him a lot of fame or infamy, notoriety, depending on where you're at. And he entitled this book, The God Delusion. The God Delusion. And in it, <clears throat> he said this about the atoning work that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. This is what Richard Dawkins said. Quote, I've described atonement, the central doctrine of Christianity, as vicious, sadomasochistic, and repellent. We should also dismiss it as completely crazy. End quote. Okay. Now, the question in my mind is, how could a man who is a renowned scientist, teaches at the University of Oxford, which every year is ranked pretty much the best university in the world, a man who by all outward measurements is a very brilliant man, how could he be so blind? How could he be so blind? Well, Paul's just told us. It's because Dawkins, like these people in Ephesus, has chosen to suppress the truth of God and to live his life in ignorance of God. In other words, he's living the life clothed in the old man, the old self. This is what Paul's getting at. Psalm 14.1, you know the verse. The fool says in his heart what? That there is no God. Even the smartest person in the world is a fool if he or she chooses to suppress and ignore the truth of God. That's what Paul's saying here. So, Christian, what does your life look like today? What does my life look like? Are you walking in the Spirit? Living your life in Christ, clothed in the new self? Or does your life still look like the old self? Before you met Jesus, what does your life look like? Even this morning, do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you, convicting to you? To, to put away certain behaviors, certain attitudes and mindsets. To stop looking at inappropriate things online, perhaps to stop getting drunk, to stop gossiping about your coworker or your neighbor, to stop being angry with your spouse. What is the Spirit convicting you of? What is he speaking to me about this week? In verse 28, we'll see Paul talks about stealing. What about when you're at work? What about when I'm at work? Do we idle away our time, not doing the things our employer is paying us to do? That's called stealing. As we get into this, as we look at the scripture and we look at these things, we see here that God is really concerned with how we live our lives because he truly wants what's best for us. He wants us to walk in the abundant, eternal life he's provided us in Christ. Amen? That's what God wants for us. <clears throat> now, I'm going to get a little vulnerable here and share this with you. <clears throat> this is something for me uh, that I've been thinking on this week, and there's more than just this. I've got more sin in my life than just this, but... Um, if, if I'm being honest. But uh, earlier this year, here at Jacksonville, we as a staff, uh, we did some training on communication and how to work well together. And we worked with a pastor from another church here in town um, who's also a counselor and trained in these things. Really, really good guy. And he's really good at helping people communicate and do all of this together. Um, and so one of the things that we did is we took these personality tests. Okay? And guess what? No surprise, I, this came as no surprise to me. Um, I am an off-the-charts perfectionist. Okay? I'm prone to anxiety. And I'm very critical of myself and, if I'm not careful, of other people. 
Right? That's me. I also have some mild OCD. Um, or as I like to say, CDO, because then the letters are in alphabetical order, you know? So um, that, that's what works for me. But that's my personality, no surprise to me. Uh, but one of the things that this training did is it helped me to see, and I was reminded of this again as I was preparing for this morning, uh, these are things, you know, I could call them personality quirks, I could, I could make little euphemisms, but really what they are is they're sinful things in my life, right? Because anxiety, having a critical spirit, uh, looking down on myself and on others when they don't meet this impossible standard of perfection, that's not, that's not the fruit of the spirit, that's not love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. And so even as I was preparing for this morning, oh, Lord, I'm not perfect. Okay, I remember again, right? I'm, not a perf- I'm a perfectionist, but I am not perfect. Um, and for me, that's sin to repent of. That's sin to repent of. And so that's kind of a silly example, but I wanted to share that with you. Um, we're all on this journey. We're all on this journey together in Christ, of growing in Christ's likeness. So... Friends, what am I saying then this morning? What am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. Please listen. All those things that characterized your way of life before you met the Lord, Paul is saying, be done with them. Or, as Paul put it in our passage, and this is his main point here in this first part of the passage, put off the old self. Say that with me. Put off the old self. Yes. That's what Paul wants. That's what God wants for us. Because God created us to be humans who are fully alive, living as free people, alive to God in Jesus Christ. As we know, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned. And since then, every single human being, except one, and we'll talk about him in a bit, has lived according to their fallen nature, to the old self. But God has more in store for us, my friends. And it starts with putting off the old self the old man. And there's a word in the Bible for this, and that word starts with an R. It's the word repentance. It means a change of mind followed by a change of action. Putting those things away. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, you've already done that in the ultimate sense. You've come to Christ, you've repented, you've been born again, you've been saved. But what next? What comes after that? What do we do? What do I look like? What do you look like fully alive? My friends, Paul's about to tell us, and hopefully that's exciting. That should be interesting to us um, as, we, as we talk about this, what this looks like to live as humans fully alive. The Apostle James said in his letter that God yearns jealously over his Holy Spirit he's put in you and he's put in me. The Holy Spirit who's within us longs for us to live this life, this life of faith, what we might call the good life, as humans fully alive to God in Christ Jesus. And if God desires that for us, which he does, he's been faithful to give us a snapshot of that in his word, and we read it already this morning. And it's verses 25 to 32. Now, it's a a brief little section of commands and prohibitions and things like that. And what Paul's doing here is Paul is listing certain characteristics that should be typical of the Christian life. Don't lie. Don't sin in your anger. Don't steal. Is this starting to sound like a, another list of commandments in the Bible you've heard of before? Does this remind you of anything? Also, Paul's larger point here is that as a people, us, 
who've been redeemed by God's amazing grace, our lives as individuals and together in the church should be characterized by more and more Christ-likeness, by an increasing desire for holiness and an increasing conformity to the image of Jesus, our Lord. So let's look at these quickly, starting in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. How's this one going? How you doing on this one? Not speaking falsehood. Guys, we're family. We are a family. Look around. This is your family. Congratulations. <laughs> this is your family. Now, they won't all be at your house on Thanksgiving, but this is your family. This is who we are. We're the family of God. Verses 26, 27, Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, it's not a sin to be angry if your anger is righteous. For example, when you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus many times got angry with the scribes and the Pharisees because they were trying to lead people away from him and thus away from God. Okay? So righteous anger is not a sin. But Paul says, don't let the sun set on your anger. Now, honest, vulnerable question here. For those of you in the room who are married, have you ever been angry at your spouse? <laughs> Richard, never. Richard Hunter, what a guy. Actually, I haven't because Meredith's perfect. But um, for the rest of you in the room, even Richard Hunter, maybe not Richard Hunter, right? <laughs> if you go to bed angry with your spouse or with anyone, right, when you wake up the next day, how does your heart feel towards that person? Full of grace, soft, loving, pliable? No. Your heart, is as, your heart is as hard as concrete towards that person. You've allowed that anger to fester. I think that's why Paul says don't do that. If you have an issue, get it resolved that day. Right? This is the kind of thing that gives the evil one a foothold in our lives and in the church community that we have. Harboring anger gives the enemy a stronghold. And so the question here that, that I have, that Paul would have, right, is, is how are we doing with this one? You know, how am I doing with this one? How are you all doing with this one? Uh, Jesus said that if you're going to offer a sacrifice of worship and you remember that you're at odds with someone, leave your sacrifice there, go and be reconciled, then come back and offer your sacrifice to God. God is more interested in our reconciliation and our love for one another than in our sacrifices. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. How's this one going? No unwholesome talk. It's easy to go for the quick laugh with an off-color joke or something crass or something mean, something angry. Right? But God says through Paul, put that stuff away. Why? I think part of it is because of who we are in Christ. The Bible tells you and me that we are priests unto the Father through Jesus. And that kind of a station, that identity that we hold as Christians, we should be above and beyond that kind of stuff, that petty bickering and gossiping and saying mean or gross or crass things. Right? How's that one going? 
It can be a tough one. My friends, these sinful behaviors and thought patterns that Paul lays out here, these are not the will of God for you. These things, in other words, will not lead you to a life that is abundant and fully alive to God in Christ Jesus. Back to Adam and Eve, right? Think about Genesis 3, back to the garden. What happened to Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve were made by God in his image without sin. They were fully alive. They were living the life, that, life, how it was meant to be lived, in communion with God, unbroken, intimate fellowship with God and each other. But when the serpent came, what was, what was the temptation? Did God really say, is that really, you really think God wants what's best for you? Come on. He, he told you you can't take of this tree. Just take it. Take it. It'll be fine. You're not going to die. You think you're going to die? That's ridiculous. Your eyes will be opened and you'll become like God. Take, take the fruit. And what happened? Did it lead them to life and life more abundantly? Of course not. We all know what happened. It led to death. Spiritual death and eventually physical death as well. Christian, God has your best in mind. And it starts with putting off the old self. My daughter is two years old, and she is the light of of mine and Meredith's life. She's amazing. Um, And she's recently entered that delightful stage of toddlerhood um, that we call being a two-nager. You ever heard of that? Or a three-nager, you know? Uh, It's that, you know, she's two years old going on 14 kind of a thing, where everything we... (laughs) Everything we say. What is her response? Yeah. Wow. It's like almost like you guys have been there before, right? No. I don't want to. I'm hungry. Do you want food? No. I don't want to. What? That doesn't even make sense. Now, trying to reason with a two-year-old is, is difficult. Parents, you feel my pain. You know what, you're, you know what, what I'm talking about here. Now, for me, Meredith, um, our daughter is under our authority. God has given her to us to raise her in his ways. And so for her to tell us no when we have told her to do something is not just her defying our authority, but also it inhibits her from living fully alive, even as a two-year-old. And the reason for that is because as her parents, we want our daughter to flourish and to thrive. We want what's best for her, even when we tell her no. And when we tell her no, it's not because we're mean Rather, it's for her good. It's for her good. And in the same way, guys, when we become Christians, when we come to the Father through Jesus, we are giving our lives, surrendering our lives to Jesus as Lord. That means he's in charge. That means he tells us what to do. He is the king, and we are his subjects. It means we walk in obedience to his commands, and the reason he gives us the commands he gives us in his word is because he created us. He knows what is best for us, and he knows what it takes for us to live as people fully alive. He knows what that takes for us. Okay, so as we, as we wrap up this section here, did you notice with each of these prohibitions, Paul also gave a positive command? Okay, let's look at them very briefly again, and as you're going through this, keep in mind this, this picture in your mind of the apple and the orange. Right? So again, don't think of the apple, right? It's the apple and the orange. 
Look what Paul says. I mean, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Be angry and do not sin, for we are members one of another. Right? Let the thief no longer steal. Rather, let him work with his own hands, honest work. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which builds up by grace. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed, but rather let all this sinful junk, that's my translation, be gone and be put away. Right? You see what Paul's doing here. So my friends, what, what is Paul saying? What am I getting at here this morning? What do we do? How do we live as humans fully alive? We put on the new self. We put on the new self. So what's the first thing we do? Put off what? The old self. Put on what? The new self. We put off the old and put on the new. Right? Put off the old, put on the new. Very easy to remember. Uh, Biblical scholar and author Peter Williamson wrote, The baptized person united to the risen Jesus and filled with the Spirit has become a new self. I love that quote. And so as we begin to wrap up, my friends, what is the new self? This all sounds like a great idea, and Paul has written some great stuff here, but what are we talking about? Ultimately, what does this mean? What does this look like? How does it look for you and me who are Christians to live fully alive, to live as humans fully alive in Christ? What does that look like? Well, look with me at verse 24. Paul says, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you catch that? What does Paul say about this new self that God has given us? It was created after the likeness or the image of God. That should call your mind back to Genesis 1, created in God's image, in true righteousness and holiness. In Christ, God has made us new creations. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And my friends, that is the new self. It's the new person that God has made you in Christ. This is the gospel. This is the love of God for us in his son Jesus. It captures our hearts. This selfless love that that motivated God to demonstrate his goodness and kindness by sending his own son to redeem his enemies. That kind of love. So again, finally, one more time, I will ask you, what do you look like fully alive? What do you look like as a human living fully alive the way God intended you to? Like Kanye? Like James Bond? Like Adam and Eve? No. Paul says that our new man has been created by God in his image in holiness and righteousness. This is a return to the garden, so to speak, but it's even better. My friends, in Christ, we have something that Adam and Eve didn't even have before the fall. We have God's Holy Spirit alive, living within us. We are robed in the righteousness of God himself, of Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve didn't even have that. They were sinless because that's how they were made, but they weren't robed in God's own righteousness like you and I are in Christ. That's pretty amazing. 
That's what it looks like to live fully alive, to put off sin and to put on Christ, as Paul says in other places in the New Testament. Think about this. He who was fully alive died so that we who were fully dead could become fully alive. Let that sink in. Isn't that amazing? What God has done for you and me in Christ. We sing about it every Sunday. We take communion once a month. We talk about it every Sunday. We talk about it all the time. And if we're not careful, it can become almost routine. It can become almost old hat. But I pray that doesn't happen to us. This really, truly is the good news. This is the greatest news that could ever happen, if you think about it. That God has redeemed his enemies at the cost of his own life. And desires our best. He desires our good. And that's what Paul's talking about here. We put off these sinful habits and put on the righteousness of Christ. And we walk and we become more and more and more like Jesus as we do so. That's amazing. That's the gospel. Jesus took our old false righteousness, our sin, everything wrong. He took it upon himself. And what did he give us in exchange? His perfection, his perfect self. He took our old man and gave us himself. So my friends, do you know, in light of God's love and in light of what he's done, what you need to put off this morning? Do you know what it looks like to live fully alive? There's only one way to find out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read our passage again in its entirety. I'm not going to comment on it. I'm just going to read it. And as I read it, I invite you to allow the Spirit to speak into your mind, your heart, those things that you need to put off and those things you need to put on. Any area of your life where the Lord would want to work repentance. And after I read, I will close us in prayer. Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. 
Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would grant us repentance for those things that we need to put off and that you would bring our wills into alignment with yours, that we might put on Christ and walk in holiness, pleasing you, Father, in all things. My friends, even now we'll take a few moments for reflection. So I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit again to reveal to you those things that you need to put off. And we'll give a little bit of space here for reflection. And now let's take a few moments and ask the Lord to show us those attributes of Christ that we need to put on, those things that that he would desire that we do to walk in holiness. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would make us more like you. Lord, to the glory of your name, and so that the world would see, Lord, that we as your people, Lord, that we live this life you've called us to live. Lord, that they would know that you, Jesus, are the only true God, Lord, and Savior, who became human, who died, and who rose again for our salvation, Lord. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the gospel and for your spirit who lives within us, Lord Jesus, who empowers us to live our lives fully alive, according to your will, alive to God in Jesus Christ. And Father, as we think of our lives and our church, we pray also for our brothers and sisters at another church in the Rogue Valley. Father, we pray for Ashland Christian Fellowship. Father, we ask that you would bless them, bless their their pastors, their elders, their leaders, their staff. Lord, bless their people. And Lord Jesus, may you speak to them. And God, may they know those things that they're to put off and put on. And Lord, may you use them in Ashland as a great witness to the gospel. And Father, we pray also for our brothers and sisters in our own congregation, Lord, who are sick or who are in need, Lord, who need prayer. And Father, we lift up this morning to you Harry Gill, Gail Johnston, Marilyn Feeney, Lorraine Hoffman, Paul Deller, Randy Templeton, and Lynn Toombs. Father, may your touch be upon them. May your presence abide with them. And Father, thank you so much uh, for them. Father, thank you for everyone here at this church. And Father, thank you for your love for us in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.